previously on the bloodstream. I've noticed that one of the things I've been trying to do is I try to avoid movies that have people I recognize. I'm trying to keep it with fairly unknown people. And now the continuation. Welcome aboard, streamers. This is episode 10 of the Bloodstream, and this week I'm going to be taking a look at Pound Horror, or Hashtag Horror, or just Horror, because I am not calling this movie Hashtag Horror throughout the whole damn thing. If you're familiar with this movie, as I pointed out in the intro, yeah, there's some big names in this movie. We've got Timothy Hutton, Chloe Savini, one or two others, but this movie gets a pass on that because it largely focuses on a group of 12-year-old girls who are largely unknown. It still has a few of those big names in it, so I was kinda hesitant to do this, but the way everyone's been talking about it, I was curious, and I figured that would get back to the original idea that Court mentioned of sitting down watching a movie and you don't know, it might actually turn out to be good. Since this is from IFC Midnight, and they have a tendency at least to put out quality movies, there was a chance that sitting down to watch this, I might actually see a decent movie. <laughs> yeah, I should've thought that one through a little bit better. Um, the plot is pretty simple. You've got a group of girls hanging out together. People start dying. And it's a mystery as to who's doing it, why they're doing it. You know the drill. It's the typical thing. Just kind of updated into the modern age because the movie brings in a lot of the stuff with cell phones and social media and works in some social commentary. So there's your setup. I'm gonna play the trailer and I'll be back in a minute. Why did you invite that new weird girl to our party? No matter how bad it gets, you're 12. You're not going to remember any of these people later in life. You understand? I just thought I saw something. It's not real. It's not real. Hello? Enjoy yourselves now while you're young. It doesn't last long. It's never gonna be okay ever again. I got attacked. I don't know who it was. I couldn't see it. care about is yourselves. Right! The movie opens up with Balthazar Getty and the woman in his Ferrari. We don't see clearly what's going on inside the car, but he clearly blew her mind. This is the sexual situation equivalent of a horror movie saying, Your imagination can fill in the blanks better than we ever could, isn't it? After their sexual encounter, she gets out of the car and he drives away and... She's wearing a trench coat, high heels, 
And if you watched carefully, she's just wearing some negligee underneath. This is the middle of nowhere, in the winter, and it's snowing. Enjoy your frostbite! It should be no surprise that he's having an affair on his wife, and it's no surprise to her either because she calls him up, chews him out on it. It's clearly one of those situations where it's keeping him happy, it's keeping the marriage together for what tenuous reasons they have. But then holy crap, he gets slashed in the neck and the killer goes on, finds the redhead, kills her too, and these characters are never seen in the movie again. They're referenced a few times, but largely that's a waste of Balthazar Getty. And as the redhead is killed, it fades into the most aggravating opening credit sequence I have ever seen. I took a really crappy video of it with my tablet because that was the only option I had. I posted it on YouTube. I'll try to remember to post the link in the show notes. Failing that, there will be a link on the Facebook group because this travesty needs to be seen. It's a rain of emoticons over and over again, and they slam the names on the screen for a half second each. It's just this assault of social media sounds, visuals, it's too much. The only good thing about it is it's a mercifully short opening credit sequence. But the reason it is so short is because everything goes by so fast that you don't know what's going on. So that was pointless. After the assault to my senses and good taste, we cut to Natasha Leone dropping off her character's daughter to have a sleepover with some friends. Friends is a loose term since it's clear they're not really friends. It's, you know, you know one of those situations where the new girl is kind of being invited into the group to see if she fits in. She doesn't really. The Most of the girls are from wealthy, well-to-do families, and, and this kid is from the poorer side of town, so there's some clashing there. When she comes into the house, and we're gonna find out later, this is the, the home of Balthazar Getty's character, his wife, and their kid, Sophie. This family is involved in the art world, so there's a table full of really creepy, arty masks, and strange incomprehensible art all over the place, melting figures. There's a pulsating hard-boiled egg sculpture thing on the wall, so hello nightmare fuel. If nothing else, this movie could freak the kids out on atmosphere alone. You don't even need a killer. So after Sam wanders around a bit, she finally finds the girls and she clearly doesn't fit in there. But for now we cut to another kid cat talking with her dad and that's when Timothy Hutton comes into the plot. They're talking about cyberbullying, the kids usage of phones, and I'm just going to drop in a clip right here. You can't just leave. Hey, no matter how bad it gets, you're 12. I mean, if it ever gets that bad, you call me. All right? That's what you'll do. Yes, Danny, I, I want you to learn something. I want you to pay attention. I want you to focus. I want you to concentrate. All this other thing that you do with your friends, picking on each other, bullying each other, whatever it is, I want you to stop doing that. That's going to stop. You're not going to remember any of these people later in life. All right? No one's going to remember who bullied who. It's the seventh grade. Now, how bad could just being there, learning something, and paying attention be? Do you understand? Yes. Danny. The only thing that matters right now are getting good grades and what school you get into. That's it. It was a huge misunderstanding. Explain to me how this is a misunderstanding. You just don't how, get it. How, I, oh, I, okay. I accept that. I don't get it. So make me get it. I wasn't being mean. It's just how we tag each other online. It's all the kids do it. What does that mean, tag each other? It's just 
It's kind of like a nickname, like a username. Wait, what, what do you mean? It doesn't matter. It's fine. It's just, it's not mean. That's all you have to know. It's not. Then why is he telling me it is? Because some people think it is. I don't want not. you. I don't want you to lie to me. I want you to tell me what's really going on. Because he's saying one thing. You left. You're not supposed to do that. And he told me that you are picking on some of the other girls. Girls that I thought were your friends. They are my friends. Then why is he telling me that? Because I don't know. Okay, look, it doesn't matter. Here's the thing. You did something wrong, you're going to pay the price. Okay, that's the way it works. You do something wrong, you have to. Because if you don't pay now, eventually you are going to pay later. Better to do it now. Yes, sir. <sighs> don't worry about it, Dad. It's bad for your health. Don't manipulate me. We talked about that. All right. Taking your meds? Yeah. I want you to be happy. I really do. I just want all of this to be okay. I'll take you to Sophia's later. I'm not going to grab you. But I think our takeaway here is that we need to try harder. I'm trying as hard as I can. You try harder. I hate you. Yeah, he's clearly one of those dads who does not get technology at all. And he's constantly telling his daughter to put the phone down for just five minutes. Which is pretty much the theme of the movie, is distancing from technology and the harms it can have. With the amount of time I spend with technology and and how connected I am with social media and phones and tablets and the internet and everything, a lot of this should infuriate me, and it does kind of get on my nerves, but at the same time, I feel like letting kids know that you can disconnect from the internet, you can put the phone down for five minutes, that's an important message, and the movie doesn't get too heavy-handed with it, aside from it being the main driving force of the murders. Anyways, Dr. Hutton, or whatever his name is, Dr. White, he drops Kat off a good distance from the actual house she's going to for no apparent reason. What is it with people getting out of cars in this movie, tons of distance from where they want to end up, and then wandering through the woods? This is the worst idea to have in a horror movie. I get, you know, if you can't get somewhere, you're walking alone and you cut through the woods. But this is deliberately dropping someone off outside the woods, both the redhead at the start of the movie, now Kat, and it's like, alright, dropping off here, have fun, don't get killed in the woods. Kat manages to not get killed in the woods, and as she's walking up to Sophia's house, she stops, takes a picture of it, and we see the picture loaded into this match three candy crush kind of game that makes no sense whatsoever, because it somehow matches with photos that are already there, it creates a match, she gets points for it. I don't understand this game whatsoever, and the movie keeps flashing back to it as an interstitial if you're going to be doing stuff about social media, at least try to create some verisimilitude with an actual thing. It's really annoying because it's more fun, loud, jackpot machine type sounds. And if that wasn't bad enough, every time they go to this scene, they end it with the pound sign, either somehow whipping out a knife and slashing its own throat or pulling a gun. It's the annoying animated character that is just there to be annoying. But while Kat's wandering through the woods up to the house, we cut to inside the house where Alex is talking to a friend of hers about the history behind the house. It's a little bit gruesome, it's kind of dark, which Kat overhears the story as she walks through the door. We're going to listen in too. Did Harry 
tell you anything about the rumors? The old legend of this place? No. Why, was it a brothel or something? No. It was designed and built by this friend of Warhol. This artist, Ray Jameson, he made all of his darkest and most disturbing pieces when he was living here. You know, the stuff that goes for a fortune now. But that's the guy that Harry's obsessed with. Yeah, I'm sure that's why he bought the place. Ray Jameson went crazy here. There was this legendary party where Ray Jameson's psychic gave this reading. Supposedly, she tapped into that this is the place where the vortex of the four winds converge. Oh, shit! <laughs> you want me to help you? Oh, don't worry. Just tell me. Much later that same night, Ray Jameson ended up brutally killing all of these people that wouldn't leave his party. <laughs> Haven't you always wanted to do that? I mean, but he actually did. That's really fucking dark. Anyway, his body vanished. They never found him. Supposedly, he committed suicide on this property, but they never found the body. And oop, spoiler. That has absolutely nothing to do with what's going on. Cool story. Nice atmosphere. Not related. So the girls are all here. They're hanging out, just, you know, being kids, being girls, trying out lots of the clothes that are in the closets there that are owned by Sophia and Alex, and Alex even lets them into her vault of jewelry. The girls are pretty much your typical adolescence, you know, they're doing the girl thing, trying on clothes, snapping photos, being self-centered. They get a little bit catty towards each other, with Cat being the worst of it. And then she has an explanation of why she doesn't really like that kind of stuff. And that's the next clip. What do you think? You look like a sausage in that. A fat little sausage from the Stanford Mall. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Cat, you're so mean. No, I'm not. It's funny, and you laughed. So nothing is mean if you laugh. And you laughed. If you didn't laugh, then you can say it was mean. That's the rule. Alex heads out to an AA meeting while still being kind of drunk, leaving the kids to play with the clothes and jewelry on their own. There's even more standing around, snapping photos, more of the annoying hashtag character thing. Really long, drawn out. It's not terrible, but at the same time, you kind of want to get on with the plot at this point. There's only so much you can stand around watching kids taking photos of themselves and posting them online. At least something happens when we realize that Alex kind of forgot something else besides jewelry is in the jewelry vault. And that would be a gun, which naturally is found by the kids. What are you saying about me, bitches? Stop it, Cat. Don't point a gun at me that's messed up. If it isn't real, then what's the problem? It is real. That's the problem. It's a gun. Put it down. Or, you know, don't. Let's get this movie started already. With this group of mean girls, I really don't have a single problem with any of them dying. With the lone exception of Sam, who is the one nice person in this group, or she's trying at least, and often serves the role of peacemaker and trying to get the girls to actually communicate rather than just yell at each other and make catty comments. The teasing just steadily gets worse and worse as the girls feed off each other going back and forth ever escalating the hatred until Cat's the one that ultimately crosses the line because being 12 they don't 
quite understand boundaries and differences between gentle, friendly teasing, hurting feelings that border between reality and outright cruelty. And Kat going that extra step or two beyond the line is the next clip. Georgie, you should just kill yourself. You're stop bullying Georgie! You're being horrible! Are you kidding me? You were just bullying her and telling her she had to go to Soul Cycle. Seriously, Sophia, you are the biggest bully. You were all so mean to me when my mom died. You really need to get over that. Really? Get over it? I'd like to see you get over something like that. Cat, enough! Get out! What are you talking about? That's it! I had it! You have to go! I call you a car! Are you showing off for your new friend? I'm gonna call my mom and get us a ride home. No, I invited you. Anyway, Georgie, you're such a poser. All you do is eat. That's why Sophia keeps you around next to you. She'll always look skinnier and prettier. What did you just say? Cat, <sighs> really? Enough! Get out! You're seriously kicking me out? I'm sorry! We always say this stupid stuff to each other. I really didn't mean to hurt your feelings, Georgie, I swear. We'll see you tomorrow, okay? Listen, Cat! <sighs> if I forgive you right away, you will never stop! Sophia, <sighs> please let Cat stay. We were all just having fun. Fine. If Cat goes, I go too. No, you stay. Don't you want to? Cat, you have to go. Please leave when your host asks you politely. Please don't do this. So Cat gets kicked out, but she still gets to see all the hateful, hurtful comments from the girls inside that they're posting online. So she hasn't really escaped anything as she walks through the woods and just sees this flood of bile and vitriol being flung at her. Not entirely undeserved, but still pretty awful. She runs through the woods, she's pretty close to losing it, calls her father, and it's so very clear she is right on the edge of doing something horrible. She's never been the same since her mother passed away, which made her father grow distant, both in general and specifically towards her, and he has no idea how to relate to her, and now all of this is just the last straw. Wandering alone through these woods with all this hate piling down on, on top of her. So of course after the deeply emotional moment of Cat being on the verge of suicide, the movie rips it all away from you with the rain of emoticons that cut to another scene. I can only accept this as satire. That sort of, I'm gonna kill myself, lol, type of juxtaposing horror with laughing it off. If that's what they're going for, it misses the mark. But after the emoticon rain, we get more attempts at gripping emotion as Georgie, the large overweight girl, gets a picture of her posted online and that gets the usual hateful thing commented on about that as well. It dawns on her that this is what she's going to be remembered for. This picture is going to follow her for the rest of her life. She's only 12 and this is blowing up social media. It's a really great moment about kids and social media and the dangers they face now with bullying and things that will follow them forever and what parents have to teach kids nowadays and they have to be aware of. This movie genuinely has stuff to say and it doesn't do a terrible job at saying it when it gets into it. But all this leads into the girls hunkered down with their phones in the separate corners of the room not really interacting with each other as the bullying on Georgie piles on and on until Sam has the brilliant idea with a bit of Georgie's help in the next clip. Can't you just stop looking at that? Maybe turn it off for a while, 
put it down? Can't you do that? That's impossible. No one can do that. Okay. Okay, I have an idea. I dare us all to lock up our phone in the safe until Sophia's mom gets home. This way I'll stop looking at my phone in this horrible picture. You know what, Georgie? I actually agree with you for once. Yeah, then we can hang out with each other and not be on our phones all the time. Oh, God. Like, lock up our phones for real. Yeah. I just, I think that's not safe. You guys just moved in and you don't have a landline yet, right? Oh, like, no one has a landline anymore. I can't lock my phone in the safe. My mom might call. Your me. mom is not worried. calling you. She knows you're here. She knows you're playing, so come on. Don't be such a pussy and put your phone in the safe so Georgia doesn't have to be cyberbullied anymore. Lesson learned from this movie, and this one's actually a little serious for a change. Sometimes it's okay to disconnect. Put some distance between you and the phone, the tablet, the computer, Facebook, whatever. I've found this true lately, even as an adult with a 24-hour news cycle, we are being overwhelmed and buried in bad news and just emotion, and sometimes you just gotta step back. You can do it, you can put the phone away, you can turn off the TV, you should do it. It's healthy. I am the first person at the very top of the list to go on about how great technology is and how wonderful it is at connecting people with everyone else around the world. But it is also very okay to disconnect and step back. <clears throat> Let me get off the soapbox and get back to the movie. I commend these girls for actually being able to put the phones away, lock them up, and just hang out with each other. I also give a bit of a shout out to the screenwriters for pointing out that locking the phones away is also a bad thing because it comes back to bite them nicely in the ass. My biggest complaint aside from the emoticon rain, is that this is a long, long, long setup just to get the girls completely isolated. I know horror movies have to deal with the cell phone problem a lot these days, but we're like 40 minutes into the movie by this point, and we've not done a whole lot since Balthazar Getty got his neck stabbed. At best, we've got a black-gloved person lurking outside who's not really doing much of anything, but oh, I hope he turns this into a giallo really soon. But before any black glove killers can get around to doing anything, I'm gonna drop in another clip of the girls just kinda chilling out, talking about parenting. My mom too. She keeps trying to help. But all she does is tell me everything I'm doing wrong. All the time. Wrong for who? For her? I hate my mom. My parents are fighting, like, all the time. I was going to run away. I mean, I can model in Paris at 13. Did you know you can even get married there legally at 15? I was going to sell some of my mom's jewelry. It's not like she would even notice. All she does is shop. And then she goes to these lame meetings. She's not even really sober, so I don't get it, so why even go? It's like she's a bad joke. Why can't they just be normal parents? At least you see them. 
guys don't even know I exist anymore. And they work all the time. I'm always alone. I hate being alone. When they are home, they're on their phones. So, I don't even know why they bother. They're like real life zombies. All you zombies, I genuinely really like this look at what parents could be doing for their kids from the kids' perspective. It's such a rarely seen viewpoint of what kids think parents should be doing, and it's really important that parents think of that, because what we think kids need might not necessarily be what they genuinely need. And this scene comes off as just heartfelt and genuine. These kids are almost cast adrift by their parents dealing with their own crap, and while the parents are trying, they're just not connecting. Which is a repeated theme of this movie, connecting with people. But the girls spend lots more time hanging around, doing sleepover type stuff. And finally it's interrupted when the doorbell rings and oh, please be the giallo killer. Please be the giallo killer. Where's Cat? Whoa, dude, don't just barge in. I'm doing a review. Where? Cat! Okay, okay, do your thing. Where is she? She left. When? How long ago? Half an hour ago. Cat! They kicked me out of the house. <laughs> I can't even see it right now. I can't take it anymore. I swear I can't. Dad, I'm scared. Why <laughs> is my daughter crying? She's hysterical. Nothing happened, Dr. White, okay? Cat wanted to leave. Where's your mother? I need to speak to your mother about the bullying that my daughter has been subjected to here tonight. She a bully! She made me cry! She told me to kill myself! Good advice. Cat! Cat, come on, where are you? Cat! 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 I don't know who the fuck to believe right now, okay? Until we find Kat. I can't fucking go through this again. Are you perhaps covering up for her, maybe? <laughs> maybe you did sort of a, a secret swear, a, 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 a pinky, pinky swear kind of thing? Kat! No. Kat! Kat, I won't be angry. You're not in trouble, cat! You've been drinking? Huh? Have you been drinking? No. Huh? No. Yes, you have been drinking. No. You've been drinking, haven't you? You've been drinking, haven't you? Have you been drinking? You're 12! You've been drinking, all of you! Bunch of 12 year olds drinking. Dr. White, it was my mother. Fucking believe anything you say? You're all drunk! I mean, something could have happened to her! Why would you let her leave? Why didn't anyone call me? 
I could have come and picked her up. All you care about is yourselves, right? It's, it's easier that way, right? It's fucking easier that way. Do you give a shit about anyone? Do you? Do you care about anyone? Are you an idiot? She didn't go home, I was just there. What part of that do you not understand? How to get burned, how to get burned! Yeah, this guy's not winning Father of the Year awards anytime soon. On the one hand, I do empathize with Hutton being pissed at his daughter going missing. On the other hand, it's really uncomfortable watching him rain down cruelty on 12-year-old girls. The audio is just a portion of it. The way he handles them, touches them, it just creepy and wrong and at the same time an over-the-top performance and really creepy and unsettling. Sam is the one that finally pipes up and says, look, let's go find Kat, which is a good follow-through on the relationship they've set up with the two of them. She's repeatedly tried to defend her friend, was going to go with her when she got kicked out in the first place. Characterization is important, but out in the woods all she finds is the bloody car, so oh good, at least that plot's coming back into the movie. Sam rushes back to the house, tells them what she found. Sophia recognizes the car as her father's and does not believe what Sam is saying. She must be lying again and kicks Sam out of the house. Because that went so well the last time. Hutton finally catches up with Alex at her AA meeting, has it out with her, and that's going to be the next clip. Jesus fucking Christ, Alex. Jesus Christ. How could you leave the kids unsupervised like that after what happened last year? Come on, really? Wait. What are you doing? Calm down. <laughs> just take it easy, Michael. Relax. Breathe, okay? They're just 12-year-old girls having some silly melodrama. I'm sure they'll get over it in a minute. Your fucking... Your, your, your daughter and her fucked up friends have kicked Catherine out of the house. That's what's going on now, okay? And now I can't find her anywhere. She's not at my house, she's not at yours, and I'm concerned! Shh! Calm down. I'm sure Kat is just fine. Listen to me. I'm taking care of myself right now. It's just for an hour and a half. The girls are 12. They're almost teenagers. They're fine home alone for an hour. They're not wild animals. Yeah, you're correct. They're not animals. They're fucking beasts. Okay, and they have, you know, they've humiliated and bullied Catherine to such a severe degree that I'm going to press charges against you. You have to let this go, Michael. Remember the light. Absolute certainty. You can make anything happen. Just be positive. Manifest this. Your spiritual bullshit is not going to work now, Alex. You should come to the meeting with me. Surrender. Give your over to the This light. is fucking insane! You, you are much more of a fucking nightmare than you've ever been. You just turn out to be a fucking complete useless fucking human being. And if I were you, I would just kill myself. So you should kill yourself is pretty much this entire family's go-to insult, isn't it? Hutton heads off and joins the Wandering Through the Woods gang as he yells into his phone at his daughter and, and yells out into the bleak nothingness of winter. And I nearly blew coffee all over my computer because of this. Cat! Cat! Kitty, kitty, cat! Come on, I got some soup and a sandwich for you. Sophia's also gone running off out into the woods to find her dad's car and get confirmation on what Sam was saying, and, well, she finds the car, she finds her dad, and she finds her dad's slashed neck. So, oops, maybe you shouldn't have kicked another person out of your house. Night falls, the girls are just kinda lounging around, and this is the most laid-back slasher movie. These girls have done nothing but party and sit around for almost an hour. Please, just do something. Finally, one of the girls sits up and is like, did you guys hear what I heard? 
Uh, no? No, we did not. It sounded like a scream from the basement. Uh, no, there, there was no scream whatsoever. Nothing. Not a sound on the entire soundtrack. Guys, this sounds like a trap. <gasps> she might be the killer. But instead of going to investigate the scream that did not happen, the kids just sit there and continue to do nothing. But Sam is actually wandering around the basement, and she does actually let out a scream that no one hears, but she screams because she found the girl that ran away when Hutton was doing his thing with all the girls, and the rest of the group continued to completely forget about. Finally, stuff is happening. It's only taken 75 minutes to get there. The killer stabs at Sam, but doesn't do enough damage to fatally wound her, and the girl runs off into the woods. I suspected she was going to run right into Cat in the middle of the woods in the dark of night, when no one could find her whatsoever in the daylight, but it ended up not happening for reasons which will become apparent shortly, and you might be able to figure it out by now. Caps the killer! The other two girls are still sitting around in the living room goofing around as people are dying and screaming around them, and they're not hearing it this time, when all of a sudden they hear a phone go off. And before I can go, hey, wait a minute, I thought they were all locked up. They pick up the phone, and one of the girls says, that's Dr. White's phone. How do they know it's specifically Dr. Hutton's phone? Let's assume it's Dr. Hutton's phone for a second. Wasn't he just using it outside, in the woods, to yell for his daughter? Kitty, kitty, cat! How did it get inside the house, on the floor, underneath the couch, or wherever it was? Does logic of cause and effect not exist in this movie? And on top of that, they just start using the phone, browsing around through his stuff, and watching video of Ava, the girl that ran off, as she's being chased and murdered. Does Dr. Hutton not even have a passcode on his phone? In fairness, this guy's passing familiarity with technology, I could see him not putting a passcode on. So after watching their friend get murdered, the girls drop the phone and continue to sit around and do nothing. This is why nothing is happening. The slasher is waiting for them to come down into the basement, find his handiwork, and the girl just sit there. Sam's running through the woods, finds Sophia running through the woods, and they both decide to team up and get the phones out of lockup, call for help, do anything they can to get someone out there. See what happens when you work together, kids? Shit gets done. Sophia gets a little bit waylaid by being terrified by Timothy Hutton stalking through the woods, and I'll be honest, if I ran into him in the woods in the dark at night, I'd be terrified too. Sam gets back to the house, dies into the pool where Sophia said the safe key was, and that's when the killer decides to show up to try to drown Sam. Now you show up? Finally got tired of standing outside in the snow? But fortunately Hutton starts banging on the windows, scares off the killer, so... So Sam manages to survive, get the key, get the get out of the pool, and get the phones. The killer is frustrated at not getting to kill Sam, so find Georgie slashes her throat, and I notice the screen took on a definite yellow tint at this point. I've been making the occasional giallo joke, and this movie doesn't quite qualify. Although I'd be surprised if the director wasn't aware of giallos and wasn't trying to make some connections there. If anything, the absurdity of this plot is definitely straight out of the Giallo handbook. Sam frantically tries to get any of the phones to work as the killer shows up to try to make an, ahem, another stab at killing her. Sam barely manages to close the vault door before the killer gets to her, and it's back to Sophia. She shows up, Hutton's there trying to help Sam, and the movie finally reveals who the killer is.
Sophia shows up, thinks Hutton's doing something he shouldn't be doing, shoots him in the back, and that's not going to help Kat's mental state any. Both her parents are now dead, and she just saw her father get killed by the person she probably hates most in the world. So we've established that Kat is the killer. Okay, fine. That works for most of the movie, but how does that explain Balthazar Getty and the redhead getting killed at the start of the movie? That happened so early on in the plot, it was literally first thing in the morning as we saw Alex was just getting up and getting dressed. And that was before Kat was dropped off there to go to the party. So did she walk out there, kill the two in the Ferrari, and then walk all the way home to be driven back out there later? Kat and Sam come face to face in a wonderfully shot scene. I will say this, the cinematography of this movie is genuinely great when it's not raining emoticons on the screen. And while Sam is standing there with a gun at her friend, she eventually decides she's not going to kill her best friend, and Kat decides to take her own life by slashing her throat, just as Alex drives up to witness the entire affair. The movie crashes to a halt with a news clip trying to explain away what happened, and if that's the story going around, it kind of robs the story of a lot of the emotion it had, but it also kind of works with the whole internet culture kind of thing going on. The tragedy is now online for the world to see. The horrific images were splashed across social media. The images were followed and liked by millions of people who stood by and did nothing. Honey, honey, mommy needs a dog to me, okay? Can you go play with the likes and I'll have the top score and I'll be the top player and I'll be remembered forever. <sighs> this movie. I want to like this movie. I genuinely do. There's a lot of good stuff in here but the style they use to tell the story just rips away everything I like about it. Straight up, the kids are amazingly good. These are some of the best 12 year old actors I have ever seen in anything. They are clearly the stars of this movie. They're believable as people and as characters. The movie actually has a lot to say and does manage to say it very well at times. And I love it when horror movies can work in some social commentary or, or a deeper meaning to things. Or holding up a dark mirror to our society and have something to say about the way of the world. We are in the midst of a genuinely scary time of change with everything happening so fast right now. Technology progressing, kids getting into it, parents trying to catch up and figure out how they're going to deal with this stuff. But while the movie is taking its time to talk to us about this stuff, it's consequently taking its time. And it just doesn't go anywhere for way, way too long. As they say, show, don't tell, and this movie tells for far, far too long. I absolutely adore the cinematography, as I said before. The cinematography is arguably the best thing about this movie, besides the kid actors. It's a shame how the stupid emoticons and graphics completely rob the movie of any gravitas it builds up through the filmmaking. I come so close to going along with it as satire or counterpoint, but it's just too jarring. The movie at once really gets kids, gets the emotions and what it's like for them right now, with a genuineness that a lot of horror movie lacks when writing teen characters. And then it goes and shoves that overly goofy, trying to be hip emoticon stuff at us. If some of the partying was edited out, if some of the logic was better thought through, if all of the emoticon garbage was removed or at least tweaked somehow. I would absolutely say this is a must watch. It might even go so far as to say it's important to see this movie. 
but the style, it all detracts from what this movie is trying to say. Which is a shame because it's stuff that needs to be said. Maybe not quite so heavy-handed as this, although I acknowledge it could be a lot worse than what this movie does. All the flaws, all the mismatched visuals, the clashing style, it just brings this movie way, way down. I want people to see some of this stuff in here. I hope someone runs with the ideas and makes a better movie because horror with social commentary needs to be done. This movie just completely dropped the ball. That was Hashtag Horror, and that was episode 10 of The Bloodstream. As always, you can find us on iTunes, subscribe to us there, leave us a rating and review, that helps out a lot. We're on Facebook, search for The Bloodstream, or on Tumblr at thebloodstream.tumblr.com. Occasional teases of what I'm working on and stuff I might be watching there. If you've got suggestions for how to improve the show, comments you want to make, if you've got a movie that's on Netflix or Amazon that you really want me to see, shoot me an email at phoenixfoenix at gmail.com. You can also leave comments like that at the Facebook group. That about wraps things up. Take care and keep streaming.
Kitty Cat!